Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, Jason Whiteley, half of the Jasons joining you for this uh, Yolitics political podcast. I'm with Jason Wheeler. What's going on, man? I'm surprised you didn't say the better half. It, it, well, that goes without saying. I think that, our audience it, that was knows. in parentheses, right? <laughs> our audience knows is a better half here. Um, so, go ahead, go ahead. So man. we're what we're less than uh, six weeks away now, and uh, it, things couldn't be busier right this second as far as what's going on in Washington and all across this country. And Texas is being looked at very closely here. It, it is so bizarre what's happening right now in D, what's happening right now in D.C. Um, you know, normally we have a beer for this podcast. You might need a, a drink for this episode because, wow, I mean, just yeah. it, it's it, it's incredible what we're seeing. I mean, at the end of the day, here, here's what we're talking about in this episode. The hypocrisy by Democrats and Republicans and whether we should confirm a Supreme Court nominee before the presidential election. Democrats and Republicans have completely switched sides on this, Jason. In the past four years, just a, a quick reminder for, for people who are, uh, are keeping count. Four years ago, President Obama, with eight months left in his term, he uh, nominated Merrick Garland to replace uh, the late Antonin Scalia, who died out there just south of Marfa on a hunting trip. Um, Republicans who controlled the Senate at the time and still do today, Republicans said, nope. We're eight months away from a presidential election. We're not going to do this. We're going to let the American people decide who's going to be president based on whoever's president. Then that uh, new president can uh, nominate someone else. Fast forward four years. Look at this. Democrats and Republicans completely switched sides on this. Democrats are saying now, no, 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 no. We need to wait. We need to wait on this. Republicans are, no, no, we need to get absolutely push someone through before the election four weeks away. Uh, yeah. To replace the late Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Jason, it, it's it's fascinating how this has changed. Yeah, and and Democrats will tell you this is because of this precedent uh, that it's not hypocrisy on their end that it's this precedent that was set by Republicans who basically laid out this rule that says when you're close to an election you don't fill a seat. Uh, so they say they're not being hypocritical here. They're just trying to hold Republicans to the same standard that they established four years ago. Republicans, though, as you would imagine, see it uh, entirely differently. And so we got a, a big name Republican on the line because he is right at the center of what is sort of a legislative fist fight that's going on in D.C., and he's no stranger uh, to fist fights, especially when it comes to the judiciary. Uh, so we just dialed up uh, uh, Senator Ted Cruz, and of course he picked up right away uh, and joined the Zoom with us. Hey, Senator, how are you? Uh, hold on, am I off mute? Yes, you are. Can we you can hear, hear you. We can we can hear you. I'm doing well. Good to be with you guys. Good to see you too. Good to see you. Yeah, thank, thanks for joining us for this. I, I know your time is limited. You just walked off the floor uh, from a vote. What were you guys voting on? Uh, we're voting on a series of judges and a nominee to the Equal Employment uh, Opportunity Commission. Well, well, let's start with uh, judicial talk here. Uh, Democrats and Republicans have completely switch sides on this contentious issue of whether to nominate or whether to confirm rather a uh, Supreme Court justice before a presidential election. 
Senator Cruz, you've always said you are a principled individual, a principled conservative. Aren't you being hypocritical in changing your mind from four years ago? I, I don't believe so at all, because they are, they are very different circumstances. Uh, obviously, as an initial matter, when this question came up four years ago, all of the Democrats vocally argued the Senate must confirm the nominee and Republicans declined to do so. Now, four years later, those sides are inverted, but they are very different situations. And, and the reason is, if you look back through history, the circumstance we're facing now of a Supreme Court vacancy during a presidential election year, it's come up many times. It's come up 29 times in US history, there's been a vacancy during a presidential election year. If you look back at history and precedent, presidents have nominated someone for that vacancy all 29 times. So every time, it's clear what presidents do when there's a vacancy in a presidential election year, the right. president makes the nomination, whether they're a Democrat or Republican. So what has yeah. the Senate done? And if you look at history, you see there are very different circumstances depending on whether the Senate and president are of the same party or whether the Senate and president are of a different party. So of the 29 times in history, 19 of them, the president and the Senate were both of the same party. And the Senate confirmed those nominees made in a presidential election year, 17 of those 19 times. So there's long precedent for that situation. How about the other situation where you have a president of one party and a Senate of the other party? That's happened 10 times. Barack Obama and Merrick Garland was one of them, a Democratic president, a Republican Senate. Of those 10 times it's happened, the Senate has confirmed the nominee only twice. And what you're seeing there are the checks and balances of our constitution. That's not simply a, a partisan question. It is rather, particularly today, Republicans and Democrats have very different visions of what Supreme Court justices should be doing. A big reason Donald Trump was elected in 2016 is because he promised to nominate constitutionalist judges and the American people chose him and elected him. Likewise, a big reason that the American people elected a Republican majority in the Senate in 2014 and 2016 and again in 2018 is because the Republican majority promised to confirm constitutionalist judges. So I believe we should take up and confirm this nominee and I think it's consistent with the promise made to the voters. Well, Senator, you've called yourself a constitutionalist. So uh, if we get down into the wording of the Constitution, it doesn't say anything about, you know, if the president and the Senate are of the same party, then do this. If they're not, then this is how it should go. So do you think going forward that we need to change the Constitution to bring clarity to this matter so that we don't keep having to go through this slugfest every time with charges of hypocrisy? Well, I, I think there is clarity. This has been true going back to the very first Congress, going back to the George Washington administration and, and the John Adams administration uh, all the way to the present day. Uh, the Constitution assigns the power to nominate judges, including Supreme Court justices, to the president. It's very clear about that. And it assigns the power of advice and consent to the Senate. Again, it's very clear about that. The Senate and the president are intended to be a check and balance. And when the American people elect a president and, and Senate of the same party, that has consequences in terms of what the decisions are that are made. Elections have consequences. When you have divided government, that naturally produces more gridlock. When you have 
you know, the first two years of the Trump presidency, we had not only a Republican Senate, we had a Republican House, too. And it was one of the most productive Congresses of modern times. We passed the biggest tax cut in a generation. It resulted in the lowest unemployment in 50 years. It produced enormous results. All of that ground to a halt when Democrats took control of the House and Nancy Pelosi became a speaker, where the only priority, it seems, that House Democrats had was impeaching Donald Trump. Now, I don't like that outcome. I, I don't like what the, the Democratic House has done. But you know what? The voters have the ability to make that choice. And there is a consequence. The Democrats won a majority in the House, and it meant legislatively the Democrats have the power to do what they're doing now, which is prevent positive, meaningful legislation that could help bring back jobs and restart the economy, which is certainly what the people of Texas want. But Senator, the argument that that uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was making in 2016 was, hey, we're way too close to an election. Let's let the American people decide who's going to go into the White House. Um, he, he set a precedent there. And then here we are four years later. And you're, well, you're, you're shaking your head because I want you to tell me about this. It seems to me he set a precedent. But four years later, um, it, it's just the opposite. Both parties have switched sides. I just I don't see how this isn't the definition of hypocrisy. For both parties. Both parties are being consistent. I, I don't believe, although it, it, it is an interesting process to look at the video of Joe Biden and Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, all of whom were pounding the table saying the Senate must do its job and confirm uh, the justice. That, that was their view then. I actually don't believe they're being hypocritical. Listen, the Democrats believe Hillary Clinton promised the American people if she was elected president, she would nominate liberal activists to the court. She promised the American people she would nominate a justice, for example, who would vote to repeal the Heller decision. The Heller decision was 5-4, upheld the individual right to keep and bear arms under the Second Amendment. Hillary said if she gets elected, her justices are repealing the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, repealing that decision. Donald Trump promised the opposite. He said he would nominate justices in the mold of Scalia and, or, or, or Thomas. Scalia authored the Heller decision, and the American people had a choice. And, and by the way, in, in my race, I mean, 2018, the, the people of Texas reelected me to the Senate. It was a major difference between me and my Democratic opponent. My Democratic opponent wanted to see left-wing activists on the court. He campaigned on it. And I campaigned on the opposite. I said, listen, I'm going to lead the fight to nominate and confirm principled constitutionalists who will protect your free speech rights, your religious liberty rights, your Second Amendment rights, all of the fundamental rights in the Constitution. And the people of Texas made a choice. So I'm going to honor the promise I made to the people of Texas. And, and that's what I expect and hope everyone will do. So let's say that you do get another conservative on the court in short order here. Uh, Senator, do you think that this will be the end of Roe versus Wade? And what do you think it will do for uh, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, which is up for a hearing a week after the election? Will it finally uh, put that uh, away as well? Texas, of course, leading the charge in that case. Well, I, I don't know the answer to either one of those questions. I, I can tell you on, on the first question, um, I, I've got a book coming out next week, a brand new book uh, coming out on Tuesday, September 29th. The book is entitled One Vote Away, How a Single Seat on the Supreme Court Can Change History. And, and the book, each chapter of the book talks about a different constitutional liberty. So there's a chapter on free speech, there's a chapter on religious liberty, there's a chapter on the Second Amendment, there's a chapter on life. So I have an entire chapter talking about Roe versus Wade, talking about what happened there 
and and what the court has done on that issue. Um, on the question of life, when I was the Solicitor General of Texas, before I was elected to the Senate, uh, I led the states before the Supreme Court defending the Federal Partial Birth Abortion Act. Federal Partial Birth Abortion Act prohibits the gruesome practice of partial birth abortion where a late term unborn child is partially delivered and, the, and then uh, his or her life is taken from them. And that is illegal under federal law. The Supreme Court upheld that law by a 5-4 vote. There were four dissenters ready to strike that law down and, and the case that my book makes is that we are one vote away from issue after issue after issue of losing our fundamental rights, whether religious liberty or free speech, that one more far left justice could take those rights away when it comes to, to the issue of abortion. Um, on the question of Roe versus Wade, a lot of people don't know what would happen if the court were to overturn Roe versus Wade it would not mean that abortion were, were illegal. It would mean that the law would be what it's been for about 200 years of our nation's history, which, which is that the question of abortion is resolved state by state, according to the legislatures of each state and according to the values of the citizens of those states. Nobody believes, for example, if, if Roe versus Wade were overturned, that California would put into place any meaningful restrictions on abortion. They have a left-wing democratic government uh, who believes in unlimited abortion on demand. There are other states uh, that at a minimum believe in reasonable restrictions, believe in things like prohibiting partial birth abortion or requiring parental consent or parental notification. And you would see a return to those issues being debated in the democratic process. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book is that policy issues, issues where you and I disagree, you and I may disagree on the question of abortion. I'm, I'm pro-life, we, we may have a disagreement there. Under our democratic system, we ought to be fighting this out in elected politics, in the elected legislatures where elections determine what the answer will be. One of the big problems with the court jumping into the world of Roe versus Wade, and I talk about the history of it quite a bit in the, in the book that's coming out next week, is that it yanked it out of the political world and made these battles much more intense because the voters don't have an opportunity to to express their views and to resolve it. And, and so I don't know how any particular case would be decided with a new justice. When, when it comes to the question of nominating or confirming justices, what I'm looking for is an approach, a faithfulness to the Constitution rather than a desire uh, to legislate a policy outcome from the bench. That's not the Supreme Court's job to legislate policy outcomes. It's the Supreme Court's job to follow the law. Senator, let me ask you about your book, One Vote Away, and you just talked about how one vote can change sure. history. Why in the world wouldn't you want to see it in the Supreme Court? <laughs> um, I don't want to be a judge. Uh, a, a principled federal judge stays out of political fights, stays out of policy fights. If I were ever a federal judge, that's what I would do. I would stay out of the political and policy fights. I don't want to stay out of those fights. I want to be- You, you like the brawl, I, huh? I, I think the, the battles matter. I'm, when I say the court shouldn't be legislating, that's not to say legislating doesn't matter. It, it's just assigned to a different branch of government the democratically accountable branches of government. And, and actually one of the great illustrations of why uh, look at this battle we're having right now in the Senate. 
Uh, I believe the Senate should take up and confirm this nominee before election day, and I think we're likely to do so. But I am leading the fight to make that happen. And I think in the political world, we desperately need strong, principled conservative leaders who are willing to lead the fight. I hope to be part of nominating or confirming two, three, four, five principled constitutionalists to the Supreme Court. I just don't want me to be one of them. Who's the nominee going to be? I don't know. That's obviously going to be a decision for the president. uh, And and I I guess we'll find out on Saturday. Let's talk about the election that's coming up uh, pretty fast here, too. Uh, The website 538, if you mash all of the polls together right now, uh, President Trump is ahead of former Vice President Joe Biden here in Texas. 47.3% to 46.6. There's less than a point between these two. If you look at the polls for the same time period four years ago, uh, the president was up 13 points over Clinton in that same time frame. He won by less than eight. Is President Trump in trouble here in Texas, in your estimation? I I think Texas is a battleground. I think there's no doubt that Texas has become more purple. And and I believe this election is really going to come down to what happens with the economy and what happens with jobs. Um, I think the number one priority should be reopening the economy, helping small businesses, allowing small businesses to reopen, to, to, to get going, and, and to hire their employees back. Texans want to work. You know, as I travel the state, as I talk to Texans all over the state, there's a consistency, whether you're in East Texas or West Texas or the Panhandle or all the way down to the Valley. Texans want to be working. They want to be able to provide for their families. Now, we want to do so in a way that's safe. We should listen to sound science. We should take reasonable steps to slow the spread of the virus. And we need to deal, continue dealing with this public health crisis. But we need to see people get back to work. And I believe if come election day, the economy's reopening and people are going back to work and they're hopeful and they're optimistic about the future, I think President Trump will be reelected. I think we will keep or grow our Republican majority in the Senate. And I think we could even retake the Republican majority on the House. Is there a danger, though, here in Texas if unemployment stays sort of where it is right now, especially look in the Houston area? You see they by far lead the state in unemployment claims right now. you got a lot of people in oil and gas who've lost their jobs, and those jobs may not be coming back necessarily just by reopening more of the economy here, and yet those people are no longer getting that federal benefit each week, that unemployment benefit. Uh, you you were outspoken in, 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 in saying we don't need to do that six hundred dollars a week. What do you say to those people, though, who might be in oil and gas and they can't find a position uh, to replace the income that they've lost and there's real suffering going on? I think we need to get people back to work. We need to reopen the economy. Texans want to work. And and I mentioned the scenario where the economy is moving forward and people are working. That's where it's a very good election for Republicans. The other scenario is where we have shutdowns, we have people at home, sitting at home alone and broke and unemployed and pissed off. And I think that's what Democrats wanna see because they believe that's good for Joe Biden. And it's the reason why right now you're seeing Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer blocking any legislation to get people back to work because I think they have made the political calculation that maximizing economic pain, keeping as many people out of work is good for them. I've introduced legislation in the Senate that's called the Recovery Act. And it's focused on our number one priority should be 
helping the millions of small businesses who were shut down or just now opening their doors, helping them survive and prosper and thrive and hire their employees back, reducing taxes, reducing regulations, putting them in a position to get booming. You know, it was just the beginning of the year where we had incredible economic times in Texas and this pandemic has hit Texas hard. But to bring those jobs back, that's got to be our priority. And, and it is certainly my number one priority. Senator, despite who wins the election in November, the day after the election, the 2024 race begins. I covered you in 2012 when you were running initially. I covered you in Iowa and covered you in New Hampshire when you were running in 2016. Are you going to run again? You know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But uh, as you know, in, in 2016, that was the most fun I've ever had in my life. And, and do, you, do you have aspirations for that? Though? I, I hope so. Look, look I think politics matters. You, you, you asked me a few minutes ago why I don't want to be a judge. I, I don't want to be a judge because the place to fight for low taxes, low regulations, lots of jobs, the place to fight for rebuilding our military, for strengthening our national security, the place to fight for school choice, a deep, deep passion of mine is politics. And and I very much hope that President Trump is reelected November, but whether he is or not, these battles aren't going away. Our country remains deeply divided and we've got a fundamental choice in this election. And I think the elections going forward a choice between free enterprise and socialism, a choice between the rule of law and the Constitution and Bill of Rights on the one hand and and anarchy and violence and riots on the other. And, and, and I am committed to continuing to lead that fight. I think that's what the people of Texas have asked me to do. And, 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 and that's a charge I take very seriously. That's strong language when you lay out this uh, comparison there. And I'm just curious, at any point here, do we ever get back to uh, a sense in this country where both sides can can trust one another, can work together, can see past some of these differences uh, instead of labeling uh, the other as extreme and sort of walling them off? Well, look, I hope so. Right now, as I, I look at congressional Democrats in Washington, they are angry. They hate the president. Uh, and, 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 and they're filled with rage. And I will say with this Supreme Court vacancy, that rage has only ramped up, you know, to quote the movie Spinal Tap, it, it's gone to 11. Um, th- th- that's not good. It's not good for our country. Um, the division, the rage we have, um, I think we should treat people with civility. Um, one of the things I've tried to do in, in public life is, is treat those who disagree with me with respect. Disagree on the merits, yes but engage in civil and respectful debate. So for example, in 2017, uh, three times I did debates with, with Bernie Sanders, CNN town halls, 90 minutes each, uh, one on healthcare, two on taxes. Listen, Bernie is a socialist. You said that strong language, Bernie will tell you he's a socialist. He doesn't hide that. What's happened since then is the rest of the Democratic Party now agrees with Bernie and most of the Democrats are open socialist. I am not. I believe in free enterprise. My dad came to Texas from Cuba in in 1957 with nothing, with $100 in his underwear. And the American free enterprise system has lifted more people out of poverty than anything in the history of mankind. So, So I hope we can have real, substantive, meaningful debates about what policies are best for the people of Texas. Um... But at the same time, I think it's going to take some time for this anger and rage that we're seeing on the far left 
for it to dissipate. And, and in the meantime, um, I, I, I worry about what the division means for our country. Senator, we have time for uh, one more question here because I know you probably have to get back out to the yeah. floor. Uh, next week, though, President uh, uh, Trump and Vice President Biden will meet each other for the first time in the first presidential debate. You have debated Trump before. What do you expect we're going to see next week? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there will be fireworks. I'm sure it will be lively. Uh, what I've encouraged the president to do is is to focus on the issues and substance. Make this a, a, a contest of ideas. I, I think if the American people are given a choice between free enterprise and socialism, are given a choice between the rule of law and anarchy, I think we win that election. I think a battle of ideas, our ideas work and the ideas of the far left don't. On the other hand, I think the Democrats have made a strategic decision that they want this election to be a battle of personalities. They want it to be a referendum on whether or not you personally like Donald J. Trump. And, and, and they, believe, they believe they win that referendum. I don't know if they do or not. But what I do believe is we win the battle of ideas. I think that's the reason why you see Joe Biden essentially hiding in his basement, is that they've decided, let's not make Biden an issue at all, make it entirely a personality question about Trump. I'm working very hard to make this a battle of ideas. It's one of the reasons why I've written the book that's coming out next week, One Vote Away. It's one of the reasons why in January of this year, I launched a podcast. By the way, welcome to the podcast world. It's good to be in it. Uh, you know, my podcast, <laughs> Verdict with Ted Cruz, we're doing, we were doing it every night during impeachment. We do it every week. It became the number one ranked podcast in the world during the impeachment trial. Um, all of this is designed to engage in, in the battle of ideas because I very much agree with what Margaret Thatcher said. First you win the argument, then you win the vote. And so I hope in the debate we see a contrast between ideas that work and, and ideas that don't. Senator, I appreciate your time and uh, joining us for Yolitics here, the uh, unofficial number one podcast in the state of Texas. <laughs> so uh, thanks for the time. We appreciate it, Senator. Absolutely. Thank you. Of course, Senator Cruz is, uh, you know, highly partisan, like uh, Republicans and Democrats both are when they're arguing their points. Um, I know many Democrats would would uh, take issue with a socialist fact. He mentioned Bernie Sanders. Of course, Bernie Sanders is not the nominee. It's Joe Biden who is the nominee. Um, and talking about anarchy, I mean, you know, I think the Lincoln Project and, and, and Democrats have done a good job saying, hey, what we're seeing play out on American streets right now is happening under the watch of President Trump. So uh, obviously our, our Democratic listeners are going to take issue with that, and they should. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we're going to hear a lot more of this. I mean, this is just a primer for what we're going to be hearing in the weeks ahead. The, the volume on this, as he was saying, it's going to go up, uh, I think, above 11 uh, by the time this is all uh, said and done. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how this 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 issue with the Supreme Court energizes voters, because I, I don't I don't know that they can get more energized than they already are. Uh, I did think it was interesting. Well, first of all, the, the one question that I didn't get answered that I wanted an answer answer to there was health care. Uh, we talked about the Affordable Care Act and how Texas is leading the way trying to 
essentially do away with it, and that will be heard in the Supreme Court, which could be a very different Supreme Court one week after the election. Uh, he didn't really uh, go into that, and Texas leads the country in the number of uninsured people, and that routinely is at the top of voter concerns, uh, big issues going into an election. It'll be interesting to see how that plays in this election, because that many more people have lost their coverage when they lost their work benefits when they lost their jobs. So he said, saying everything's going to hinge on this recovery. Do the Republicans have enough runway in front of them here? Can the Texas economy recover enough, enough jobs come back by the time we get to Election Day, which is going to get here fast, for them to see President Trump in a better light? And Jason, I think when you're talking about who gets energized by the Supreme Court fight going on right now, I think the people energized most likely are those business Republicans, those conservatives who have always voted Republican but might not necessarily like President Trump, um, those are the ones that I think now will come off the sidelines. And I think the Republicans are smart. GOP knows that, that, that it can use um, this issue to really get everyone off the sidelines. And I think the Republicans will need everyone they can get. Democrats need everyone they can get as well, too. So yeah. that, that that's going to, I think, really energize the right. And the left, of course, is making a huge deal and saying, uh, you know, if, if the court goes into a starts leaning conservative um, or, you know, really becomes conservative, then then things like the Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare and Roe versus Wade are in jeopardy. So it could yeah. motivate both sides. But at the end of the day, Jason, you cover a lot of business. You know that at the end of the day, people vote with this right here. They yeah. vote with their wallet. They are do. they better off four years uh, later than they were four years earlier. What was that? A, a Reagan line, I think. Yeah. Back in and 1980. It all comes down to that pocketbook. And and then you have the pandemic wild card here. So who knows? Maybe Supreme Court justice, you know, when you start talking about healthcare, pandemic, uh, economy, maybe Supreme Court justice gets pushed further and further down, even though we've got this huge fight that's going on in D.C. over this in these coming weeks. In the rest of the country, that might be not as much of a concern as all of these other things that are affecting people in their day-to-day lives. Yeah, and obviously, uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of strong feelings on President Trump. And the Republicans that I talk to across our state say if he's done anything, anything, uh, he has he has put a lot of people on the bench. A lot of conservatives have, have been seated in court because of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the one thing that I think conservatives um, really agree on about President Trump. They might have other disagreements about him. Uh, we, of course, know what, what Democrats think about the president. But that is where uh, the, the people really kind of the cohesion is really around the conservative uh, judicial appointments he's made. Interesting thing. That's uh, one of the few places where I, I think uh, liberals agree with them, that that's one of the things that they notice the most about this president, too. Uh, and a weird thing, it seemed like Republicans used to own this issue of Supreme Court appointments, the judiciary. Uh, it was more important to them than it was to Democrats. I just saw a poll the other day. You were talking about things sort of flipping on their head in 2020 that, that showed that more Democrats considered that a top issue than Republicans. Republicans this time. So we may be seeing yet another anomaly uh, here in this oddest of election years. Crazy times indeed. Hey, before we go, a quick shout out to a, uh, a loyal listener, hmm. Priscilla Barber. 
She is a loyal listener to Yolitix, and uh, of course, she probably tunes in for the better half here, but uh, I'll share that with Jason Wheeler as well. So Priscilla, thank you for listening as always. I was just uh, relieved there when you said a loyal listener and you didn't say Mama Whiteley or Mama Wheeler. That's actually very nice. But you know... You know, uh, Senator Cruz likes to tout his, you know, podcast and how it hit number one and blah, blah, blah. Is he on six continents, though? That's what I want to know, because we have a map that shows that our listenership is on six continents. We need to check that again to find out if anyone at McMurda Station in Antarctica, if you can hear us there, we need one listener so that we can pop up on all seven continents. We'll send you something cool. Hey, you know what? I, I have a, a Yolitix <laughs> yard sign that I can send you that you can... Uh, That'd be you know, beautiful, stick, right in the stick snow. Stick in the ice. Just stick plant in the it ice right down in the there. snow. Yeah, That'd be the, awesome. peng- the penguins can, uh, can, can uh, <laughs> gather around that. Thanks for listening to another uh, episode here. We really appreciate it.